Church, our child today is responding like Corinthians. And we here at the Church of St. Stephen's uh, are ending our series of the revealing God. And we're going to end today in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where we are discussing the example that the church in Corinth sets for us. So as we prepare to listen to God's words and listen to what God has to say for us this day, let us pray that we may see God revealed in the scriptures and teachings this morning. Let us pray. God of justice, love, grace, mercy, and truth, we ask that your words and teachings today strike deep within us. Pierce our hearts with your word that it may propel us to a more Christ-like life. May your truth, no matter how hard it is to hear, give us the strength to resist all temptation and defensiveness. Amen. So church, our scripture today, like I said, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we pick up in verse 6, going through verse 13. This is what it says. But God, who consoles the downcast, consoled us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was consoled about you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that it grieved you with that letter, that I grieved you with that letter, though only briefly. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance, for you felt a godly grief, so that you were not harmed by any of us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness with this godly grief has produced in you. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. What alarm. What longing. What zeal. What punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves guiltless in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the one who was wronged, but in order that your zeal for us might be made known to you before God. In this we find comfort. In addition to our own consolation, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his mind has been set at rest by all of you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church family, it's time to do a little myth-busting. Uh, just like uh, the very popular show Mythbusters with Adam Savage and Janie Hyman uh, that ran from 2003 to 2016, we're going to embark on our own adventure. Uh, this show, for me, was a favorite. Uh, as a youngin' growing up, you got to think, in 2003 when this came out, I was in third grade. So um, uh, this was a great show for me because I got to see these myths and these viral videos that they would take and test out. It was a wonderful thing to see them uh, putting all these little pieces to the test. I got to learn a lot. 
And so today, we are going to do our own myth-busting to see if something is busted, plausible, or confirmed. What we are looking at today is a rumor, or a myth, and it states the early Christians and early churches got all aspects of their faith correct. And to test this idea, there's no better example or sample than the church of Corinth. Uh, this, if you know anything about Corinth, makes our title a little ironic because most people would not think of Corinth as being a good example for the church today. In fact, they were, <laughs> they were founded by Paul, and now their founder Paul is writing to the church to correct them. And when I say correct... I want you to know that it was not all rainbows and butterflies and encouraging them. It was hard truth, but addressed so in love. It wasn't gentle, for it had to address all of their shortcomings. Correction for many of us can also be very hard to take. And it was no different back then with the church in Corinth and the early churches. And now, whether it being hard to take means that we don't receive it well by denying or deflecting it, or we just don't take it to heart at all. For the church in Corinth, they responded in all three of those ways, which prompted not just one letter from Paul, the founder of the church, but at a minimum, scholars say the church in Corinth received four letters, two of which that we have addressing the corrections. The scripture we read today is actually believed to be from Paul's fourth letter to the church in Corinth. We see from this letter that Paul had sent his companion Titus to Corinth in order to help. And this is important for us to understand because in the first part of chapter 7, Paul addresses the church by asking them to have room in their heart for Paul and Titus. And he does so so that the correction that they give does not come across as condemnation. For correction, they know, leaves room for healthy response, whereas condemnation can lead to a hardened heart. So, for an early Christian church with problems, who have now received four letters, two of which we know we're correcting them, we wonder... How did they, the church in Corinth, respond to these letters of corrections, especially this one in 2 Corinthians? That, in fact, is going to be the focus today in our busting challenge, is seeing and following the important examples that the church in Corinth sets before us. So point number one. How did the church in Corinth respond? What was the first things that they did? Well, we can do a little bit of assumption here as they were all humans, just like us. So they must have not been thrilled at getting a fourth letter of correction. It must have stung a little bit. And they probably were a little hurt. To put it in perspective, imagine if our bishop, Bishop Sharma Lewis, wrote a letter, a public letter to the Church of St. Stephen's, calling us out for all of our wrongdoings and sins and told us to change and be better. Oh boy, that would, take, that would take a little bit to process. And it did. 
It did for the church in Corinth. You see, by this time, is their fourth letter, and they've learned to self-reflect. So the first thing they do is not spout off in anger or be defensive, but they took some time, Scripture says, to reflect and see what they had been doing wrong and to meditate on the words that Paul had told them, on the correction. Then their next step after this, we see that they turn to their leadership, asking for help to be able to respond to those convictions that Paul has called them. And then, through those steps, they make it known that they seek now not to live in sin anymore, but they wish to repent and be more like Christ. And we see that for godly conviction, it ultimately leads to a life lived in the model of Jesus Christ. That is our first point, our first test. Our second point, our second test is this. How are we, like Corinth, being convicted as a church and as individuals? Earlier this summer, we discussed how we are all broken vessels of the Lord. But God still uses us despite our brokenness and uses us to speak to one another, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this applies as well to God giving correction through our brothers and sisters. But it's important to remember, remember this, that Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 15. And it says, But speaking truth, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ Jesus. So, we must speak in truth and love. For by doing so, God's truth can then be received. You see, if our goal is to see repentance and to hold each other accountable to the life we are commissioned to live in Christ, then we will do it out of love. And I want to encourage but also warn us when we are part of this, when we are correcting our brother and our sister. Because remember, our first step is self-reflection. You see, we must do it out of truth and love because if we do it out of our own malice, if we do it out of a guilty heart to judge one another, then our correction will not be heard and in fact, it'll cause even more division among us. For the truth is, true correction seeks to bring life and unity. And we see that God calls all of us to repent, the individual and the church as a whole. So we, the church of St. Stephen's in Burke, doesn't roll off the tongue like the church of Corinth. We are called. And we are called to do three things, and we've challenged ourselves to do, is to connect, to grow, and to serve. And in examples are we connect by worshiping with one another on Sundays. We grow by or participating in something in faith that will challenge you and hold you accountable. Then we serve. 
We serve by taking all that we have gathered in worship, all that we have gathered in our groups and time with others, and share it and apply it in Burke, in Fairfax, and far, far beyond. These are what we are called to do as St. Stephen's. And it is for years what the church has challenged itself to do. So I call on us to inspect ourselves and our church to see if we are indeed connecting, growing, and serving. As our second point. Our third point, or our third test, is lastly, how can we use the example of Corinth's response for ourselves to respond when being corrected by God? How? How do we use their example? I'll tell you what, it's not easy, and it never will be. Taking correction is difficult, but it is a part of the Christ-filled life that we should be living. As a true follower of Christ and looking at the example of Corinth, our response should not be one of anger towards the one speaking out of love or even towards God. But I will speak to this on anger. And you may be shocked to hear your pastor say this, but anger can be a good thing. Anger can be a good thing. And when I say that, I'm talking specifically about the example the Corinthians give us. Because when they grow angry, when they have this conviction, this godly grief, they get angry at their sin. They don't just get angry at one another, or at God, or at the messenger, or even at themselves. They're angry at the sin. You see, this anger can be a motivator for us. And that can be a good thing. To motivate us in this process of repentance. But is only a start. It must, it must be the understanding of God's grace and unconditional love towards us that our pursuit for a healthier relationship with Christ is what continues and sustains our drive for repentance and ultimately the pursuit of a more Christ-like life. What the church in Corinth did was they grieved. They grieved that they had done wrong by God. Then they realized this, and they were motivated to change and to grow. So we see the purpose of correction is repentance. It is creating a deeper personal faith with God and us being guided in a new direction in life. It is freedom. It is freedom to grow and move beyond what we knew in the past. And this repentance, whether it is your recommitting of Christ for the first time or the thousandth time, what is, whether it is a repentance for the first time to recognize God as sovereign, maybe it is repentance from sin or some sins that you now feel the weight of their pain and their shame and you want freedom. No matter what, no matter how many times, God promises you 
and meets you on the path to repentance. God is calling us all to release that, release whatever it is, and receive the freedom in Christ. And I've thrown around this word repentance, and in the church, unfortunately, we can throw around words and not define them, and that gets tricky. So I want to be very clear on what I mean by repentance here. Repentance is a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. And though it includes sorrow and regret, it is much more than that. For there is also joy and hope in the future, since we are not stuck in the past, in the sins, any longer. We are trudging through. You see, in repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, a 180 turn towards God. Uh, For some of you who are in the military, uh, we can use this example. And I'm sorry, I'm not in the military. I never will be. I respect you immensely. Uh, I'm going to butcher this example. But imagine repentance as an about face towards your leader, towards God. Now, for the rest of us, we can imagine this chair as us. This is the cross. Repentance is taking that part of our life or our whole life that is facing away from God and turning the chair around to face the cross. It's not a 360, it's a 180. To refocus and center ourselves back to God or for the first time. For the church in Corinth, this 180, this repentance, was turning from false teachers, from sexual morality, from deceit, and much more. For us, this turning of the chair or this about face could be one of those, or it could be any other sinful desire or distraction that has kept us faced away from the cross. So now we go back to look at our sample church, Corinth. What does it mean for our myth today? Do we think that our myth was confirmed, plausible, or busted? It was busted. Oh, for sure. Definitely busted. Yeah. Is busted in the early church, it, it seems strange to us because they were so close to Christ in the timeline, to Jesus physically walking on the earth. We must think they got it all right. They had the direct disciples and apostles of Jesus leading them. They, they must have figured it out. But they didn't. We see that they struggled And their struggle actually serves as our example into repentance. Because as we know, I hope we do, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need to be held accountable to God and one another. So our myth is busted, but there is still hope. And so my challenge to us today, church, is to take the example of the church in Corinth, and use the conviction to self-reflect. To use the anguish and the anger 
towards sin as a motivator to a higher purpose of repentance so that God might create new life in us and give us a sense of freedom. I hope that we respond in faith, not fear, because that will bring about a heart and a mind that repents. Hear this. For as God reveals God's self to us, there are convictions that will happen to us. Because it is due to God calling us to a deeper holiness and to this deeper relationship with God that God will meet us on the road of repentance. I hope today that we take to heart the corrections needed to follow God with a pure heart. That our responses be to take ownership of our flaws and to have a desire to be more Christ-like in life and faith. Even if we're not entirely sure what that next step is going to be after turning our chair. I understand, I'm not naive, that this is way easier said than done. So today, I want to give us something tangible to walk away with. And it is the start of the process. And it is the start by prayer. It is a prayer of repentance. And if there is something on your heart or your mind this day, I encourage you to be lifting that up when we pray it. Or, at the very least, be praying for a heart of repentance. So when we pray this, it is the start. Because then we must take it and live it out intentionally resisting the selfish desires and making intentional strides towards Christ who gives us the strength to resist. Receive the grace of God. Live the example of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in this and all aspects that God has called us to. Repenting like the church in Corinth. And today we get to receive God's grace in a very real and physical way. We get to come to the altar of God. We get to come to the cross and see the broken body and the blood of our Savior. And you see, at that table, God invites everyone. God invites all who earnestly love him and repent of their sin. So this table is open to us this day. To all people, no matter your sin or how far you may feel from God. So as we prepare to receive in Holy Communion today, which is God's free gift to us, I encourage us now to pray that prayer of confession, or you can call it a prayer of repentance, is in your bulletin. We're going to take a second, and I would like for you to take a moment to either pray for a heart of repentance or repentance from something and then join me in our prayer. As we come before Christ's holy table, let us pray our prayer of repentance and confession now before God and one another. Heavenly 
and Almighty God, I come before you humbled and sorrowful, aware of my sin and ready to repent. Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned before you. Wash away my sin, purify me, and help me to turn from this sin. Lead me to walk in your way instead, leaving behind my old life and starting a new life in you. Lord, you who are loving and just, show compassion upon me. Shower me with your mercy. All this I pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sin. Amen. Church, having confessed, let us hear now the good news that Christ died, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, which proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.